from South Florida. The Brian Mudd Show starts right now. News Radio 610 WIOD. very moment where he felt cornered. And that took a little bit of a dramatic turn because it was the first time in the trial that we've seen Rittenhouse express any form of emotion. He actually broke down during the testimony, um, visibly unable to go on. They had to call a recess. Um, he was actually removed from the courtroom to compose himself. So I think that was the moment in which the defense did what it needed to do, which is humanize him. That was some analysis by Channel Lloyd of the Cochrane firm on ABC News. Lots of analysis pouring in. You know, it was interesting yesterday. I had on one of my monitors here in the studio, had the, the trial on. So I could kind of see it during the course of the show yesterday. And, you know, when I wrapped up with the show, I went ahead and, and popped on the volume to kind of have it on as background noise while I intended on working on other things. But instead, <laughs> it became like, wow. Holy, it just, it, it was captivating because one, Rittenhouse himself was riveting in terms of his testimony, but then the prosecutor, it was rather remarkable to see some of the conduct of the prosecutor right down to on multiple occasions. The judge having to suspend the trial, get the jury out of the courtroom to dress down the prosecutor. Never seen a dressing down quite as extensive as what I saw in this case yesterday. But somebody who knows a lot more about all this, has a lot more experience, the criminal defense side of things, South Florida's own Mark Iglarsh. Speaktomark.com is the website. Mark, what do you make of this deal? Daily Mail that got published today. And the first line of the article is, Desperate Times Calls for Desperate Measures. And I write that I was thinking about that quotation when I saw the prosecutor's actions in court. In his mind, I think that he realizes he's on a sinking ship. It's the only reason why you would defy a court order so blatantly, because he figures he has nothing to lose. Likely the jury's going to acquit this kid, and he feels like, you know, if I can get in that really damaging evidence, you know, the stuff that the judge told me that I can't introduce, then maybe I got a shot. So this is interesting. You believe that the conduct was was very much intentional, which the judge at one point seemed to suggest, because when the prosecutor offered up at one point an excuse for his behavior, you flat out had the judge say, I don't believe you. Okay, so he might be selling the public that stuff, but I've been in the arena for 30 years, and you know as a baby prosecutor that you don't comment on a defendant's right to remain silent. That is absolutely something that ends trials immediately because even if the judge doesn't grant a motion for mistrial the appellate court is going to say well that's egregious that is problematic it could come back on appeal that's one thing that he did so blatantly and the second thing was there was an order pre-trial saying you cannot bring up the fact that on social media prior to the trial at some point uh the defendant talked about wishing he had a gun so he can shoot shoplifters, I'm paraphrasing, something like that. Obviously damaging testimony for the defendant. But the judge, after listening to both sides, ruled that cannot come in to evidence. You don't just introduce that because you think the door was open based upon some of the testimony that he made. 
If anything, and every experienced prosecutor knows this, you say, Judge, let's go sidebar. I believe the door has now been opened. I'd like to bring in that testimony that you previously excluded for the following reason. Instead, he just went for it. And you know what? He jeopardized the case. And I think that the judge really uh, had every reason to rip him a new one. We're speaking to South Florida criminal defense attorney Mark Iglarsh. Speak to Mark.com, the website. So you had the defense step up and, and ask for the case to be dismissed with prejudice. Explain a little bit the difference between having a mistrial versus having a mistrial with prejudice. Okay, so I remember one trial I had where I said, okay, as a prosecutor, I, I, mean, I was brand new, and this is where you learn, like, it's so important not to talk about defendants' right to remain silent. I said, okay, and officer, what's the very next thing you did? And then the officer said, well, I read the defendant his rights, and he refused to, to give me any statements. The judge said, all right, that's it, we're done. And he literally walked out of the court. That was it. Because wow. that cannot come out in evidence. But that was inadvertent. I certainly didn't you know, do that on purpose. I didn't say, and you read him his rights, and what's the, what did he do? Did he invoke? Did he not speak with you? That's different. So that was inadvertent. That wasn't prosecutorial misconduct. That would be a mistrial, and then we had to try the case again. With prejudice is when a prosecutor intentionally introduces evidence that he knows should not be introduced. He engages in conduct that he knows is either reckless or absolutely intentional, and the judge says, you know what? I'm saying that this should not be retried. It's with prejudice. So, interested to get your thoughts on where this goes, but before we get to, to that, that question and, and that point, how much of what we saw yesterday is really outrageous, really unusual, versus this is a high-profile case that's on TV? And what I mean by that is I personally have never seen a judge dressed down a prosecutor the way that this prosecutor was yesterday. Is that really that unusual? It depends on the judge, and I've been on the receiving end of that. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm zealously fighting for my client's liberty as a defense lawyer, and as a prosecutor, I was zealously fighting for the state and wanting to see guilty people, you know, uh, be incarcerated where they belong, having done some horrific stuff. So you're hiding, and in the heat of passion, in the heat of battle, you, you, you know, things come out and you screw up, and judges will let you know it. Um, so it, it's not all that uncommon. It just depends upon the judge. This happens to be a very independent, passionate, thinking judge who, who is very vocal, and unfortunately in front of the cameras, you know, he, he let this prosecutor have it. But I think it was well-deserved. So at this point, I mean, as, and as far as I still know, the trial's back underway this morning. The judge took under advisement the mm-hmm. uh, the mistrial with prejudice, uh, which I guess he still has that in his back pocket. He could pull out at any point. Um, right. What's your experience with that? Do you think that's still on the table here? I think it's still on the table. I think the defense moved for it because they had to preserve that issue for appeal. But I don't think the defense wants it. They know they're ahead. They know their client performed brilliantly yesterday. They saw that the prosecutor could not um, hurt that kid at all. I mean, he was, he was, listen, I don't know how well he was coached. I don't know how much is real. I don't know if those tears were real. I don't know anything. I don't know the kid. I know the outcome. The kid had the right effect. He looked brilliant on the stand. He explained that he reasonably feared death or great bodily harm. Um, you know, the evidence seems to support it. 
and the prosecutor didn't hurt him. I think the judge wants this case to go to the jury. They've gone this far with it. I think the defense wants the case to go to the jury. I think the judge can wait and see. If they acquit him, then he doesn't have to do anything. But he could certainly still rule uh, in the defense's favor, even after the verdict, if he wanted to. And, Mark, as it pertains to the jury, so, I mean, this is one of the great ironies of, of a jury versus, you know, everybody else. So we all got to see on live television exactly what was going down in that courtroom. The jury did right. not. And right. my question, though, is obviously a jury knows that they are being asked to leave because something's up. You know, something's not quite right here. How right. aware does a jury become in a situation where it was repeated, it wasn't just once, it's multiple times yesterday. How much do they become aware of, and, and can that potentially affect their judgment as well? I love that question because that's very astute. You're right. That's a huge thing that I'm concerned about as a trial lawyer. The only ones they trust in that courtroom really is that elevated person wearing the black polyester. They don't trust the defense lawyer. They don't trust the prosecutor at some point. So the last thing you want to do is piss off the judge. You don't want the judge in any way to appear like he's angry with you or you're losing it at any argument. So when the judge orders the jury out, by that point, his disdain, which he's doing everything to mask, is very clear to the jurors. So that doesn't help the prosecutor at all. Your expectation for how this story ends? I think he's going to be acquitted. I think that the prosecution failed so far anyway, and the trial's almost over to prove that he did not shoot these people in self-defense. And I think that the burden shifts to them to show that it was unreasonable. Now, there's a good argument in why did you bring the gun, all that, but he explained it, and as long as, again, we never know what these girls are thinking, and there's a lot of pressure on them, they feel it, but as long as nothing new comes to the table, I would be very shocked if somehow they did anything other than acquit this guy. Mark Iglarsh, speaktomark.com is the website. Thanks, as always, for the great analysis. Appreciate it. I always love talking with you. Thank you. Great show. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, and, and to the end of what Mark's talking about there, look, I mean, I, I think we can all, um, you know, say it, it, it's dumb for any 17-year-old kid to grab a gun and, and go out there in the middle of what is going to be a riot, and you know this, and expect a, a good outcome to come. You know, the, the closest I could get to... Um, you know, any kind of justification is if you were defending your own business, for example, your own family's business. Even then, it's it's not going to be the best idea running, but, I mean, it's a little bit more understandable. Otherwise, it does come across as being the vigilante type thing. But that's neither here nor there, right? Because bad judgment has nothing to do with whether you're guilty of murder or not. And that's, at this point, based upon what I've seen, read, everything else, all he's been guilty of is bad judgment, not of murder. Not of murder. Natalie. And a trending story up next here at the Brian Mudd Show. He's Radio 610 WYOD.